This is Intelligent Rebellion. This short stuff is from episode 5, Humanizing Healthcare with James Ellis. James continues to sail, like every single day. Everything in our system, including the measurement, the KPIs of return to work rates and costs, pushes us towards commodifying people rather than seeing the people. Yeah. So that's why I'm proposing a reframing. And look, the money has to come from somewhere. We have to juggle the economics. Economics is really just an exercise in attributing value, right? Yes. We've got yeah. we've got limited resources, and we've got to we've got to determine what we prioritize and value more. Than, and that's a complex world, and that brings up ethical and moral dilemmas. But yeah, I but- love that. You know, that's so that's cool. And that's what that's what humanity is. It, it's it's sort of juggling this idea of okay, yeah, you know, we want to make money because we're a for profit business, and there's always that catch twenty two of the well, okay, if I I want to be ethical in my business, I want to make sure that I maintain a duty of care to my my people, my staff, my patients, but as a healthcare provider, if I don't charge enough or if I don't run a for profit business, then I'll be out of work, which then yeah. essentially limits me and the people that the number of people that I can essentially help. I, I yes. think. I think my gripe is when people start making business decisions based on profit. You know, when they look at all the yeah. available evidence to them and ask themselves, oh, I'm going to do 52 sessions with this person, even though that they know ethically, morally, scientifically that not, that might not be the best or is not the best course of treatment or care for that person. That's yeah. where I find, a like, for me, that's an easy line to draw. You yeah. know with whatever you want to call it, intuition, whatever you want to call it, your gut, when you're not helping somebody and it's turned into them being a dollar sign. Yep. And I think that's what you and I have always called out and that's what I'm calling out in our industry. You know when you're doing the wrong thing. Listen to that. But we always want to put profit before the the humans in all of that. Yeah. And, and, oh, gosh, I don't know which thread to pick up on, Korea. There's... (laughs) Choose one. Choose five. There's so many there. Like the intuition thread really I find fascinating. Yeah. Um, And and maybe today's not the day, I'm sure. Although there is an analogy. Yeah, let me try and flesh this out. I don't know where I'm going with this. This is totally emergent. I I have an idea. Okay. Shoot. Go. Okay. So let's consider what intuition is, right? If intuition is knowing something without knowing how we know it, right? The gut feel. You know, you meet somebody, you like them, you don't like them, you have a feeling about whether you could trust them or not, right? Right. The people who study intuition have come up with some really interesting findings, okay? Mm -hmm. So you would have heard of Daniel Kahneman and Amos. He wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, won a Nobel Prize for it, you know, and he... And another guy, Gary Klein, they both come at the intuition problem from from different angles. And Kahneman's quite pessimistic about it and Klein's quite optimistic about it and they both openly admit that. The example Kahneman gives is when he would ring his wife, she would pick up the phone and within two or three words he would know her mood, right? 
because he'd right. been with her for 20 years or more, 30, 40 years, I don't know. He he would know her mood. And we all have that, have that experience in long-term relationships, you know. Yeah. You ring up and you know, uh-oh, something's not right. Something's all right. Okay. In that situation, we don't quite know how we know. It might be their tone. It might be something they've said. It might mm-hmm. be how they've structured their sentence. It might be a pause between words. That, who knows? We don't quite know how we know, but it's very reliable because we know them very well. Very well, yeah. And then we make the mistake of thinking, we don't think, oh, I know my wife well because I've been with her for a long time. We think, gosh, I've got good intuition. (laughs) And then we think we've got good intuition in other domains. And one domain that's been studied, you know, exhaustively for the last 100 years is interviews in recruiting, okay? Yep. And it's well known that uh, in, in recruiting we have a strong intuitive sense about whether the person, I'm sure you've done this, interviewed people, and you get this strong intuitive sense about whether they'll work out or not. And I'll bet you've had the same experience with me. You've someone, you've been so excited, and three or six months later, it's the worst decision we ever made, right? Yeah. We've got oh, it Our intuition was, was crap in that. And of course it is. We don't know that person. They're putting their best foot forward. Mm-hmm. They might have mentioned their footy team might be the same as ours. If it's me and they like sailing, they've got a job. Yeah. If they, um, you know, if we've got things in common, it might be just, oh, I grew up in such and such, or we both travelled to, you know, the Greek islands or something, you yeah. know. So all of a sudden you bond with them over that and your confirmation bias sets in. And So our intuition, my point is our intuition can lead us astray. Yeah. And the analogy I'm going to try and draw here, this might be a really long bow, <laughs> is, is evidence-based practice, I'm a big fan, but I'm also yes. a big fan of taking into account my experience and my judgment over a long period of time. Yeah. And sometimes together that leads me to some decision-making that is better. And sometimes it leads me astray. Yeah. But, so I'm calling evidence... Um, uh, based medicine, if you like. On the one hand, we've got facts and figures and a rational mm-hmm. approach to the world. On the other, we've got a more um, ill-defined, amorphous, uh, gut-feeling, spiritual even, approach to the world. To- and, they, and they all have value. Yeah, but let me, let me propose this in that case. Mm. If, mm. if you think about why we have evidence-based research and why we do the research that we do, isn't it because someone's mm. just going, oh, may... That that may have been right, or from my experience, I've seen this happen in the clinic. Why don't we go about and try to research it? I love evidence-based research, and I also love reading when we've disproved something already. I think that's I think that's mm-hmm. just the most awesome thing that can happen is someone goes, "Oh, by the way, I've done this, and we've proven this wrong." Um, yep. That means that we're learning, and that means that we're getting either better. Or worse, um, of what we're doing. But so I propose this to you. When someone thinks about doing research, and I know you've thought about this as well, it's because we kind of have a gut feeling and intuition about something and we want science to either prove it or disprove it. Isn't that what a hypothesis actually is? Is you've seen something in clinic and your gut feeling says it. So I think the two go hand in hand and people just don't want to admit to that. It's like I have a hunch. Well, let's test it in the lab. <laughs> I think that's a great summary. And, I mean, let's face it, science, mm. where evidence-based practice comes from, is the enterprise of overcoming our biases, right? Yeah. 
It's just that there's also a litany of examples of where science has been misappropriated and fraudulently <laughs> used to 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 prove the hypothesis mm-hmm. that the confirmation bias drove us, the scientists towards in the first place. But that's not a reason to, to disregard the scientific method. That's just a reason to do better science. But when we're dealing with injured workers and trying to support them, we make these decisions all the time mm-hmm. um, and their interventions, the minute we discuss them with the worker, they become an intervention. Yes. And... Um, a lot of that, there's no getting away from the fact that we're using our gut feel on the run all the mm-hmm. time. So, yes, we want it supported by the evidence. We really we really do. And we want to challenge statements that are not evidence-based. But my contention is that can only happen when you've developed a relationship and when they trust you. And that yep. takes a lot more listening than we get given time to do. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm doing a lot of non-billable listening. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know, I, you and I both. That, but that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with that because um, yes. uh, everything can't be billable. Uh, and, and if it was, it would be a little bit obscene, you know. But so, and again, I think, I think this is, another, this is a, a, an awesome conversation I would love to have with you at another time because I've mm. ranted on and everyone who's read my stuff knows that I rant on about billable hours forever mm. in a day. They are my pet peeve within our mm. industry. Because yeah. how do you, and, and we, I always say, we're so busy trying to accumulate billable hours rather than hours of care. Yeah. And those two things cannot, well, they can coexist, but the, people need to understand within the industry that you can't, you can't say to somebody, okay, stop that conversation because you've only got 1.0 hours billing allowed mm. for that conversation. Uh, because that's when you start doing more talking than you are doing listening because you're trying so hard to get as much information as you can across. So I think for me that's one of the places that we're really screwing it up within healthcare is Mm. that we're building these models around not hours of care and what this person truly needs, but it's kind of like you have 60 minutes. Now do as much as you possibly can within that 60 minutes. Mm. Um, And a lot of that is not listening. It's a mm. lot of prescribing or treatment, as you mentioned, or interventions, yes. as you've said. Yes. Um, and, and so the system doesn't allow for that. That's where I think. So I want to sort of circle back around and I love, I, I know you and I will digress all day long. I call that, I want, um, I call that premature articulation. Premature articulation. <laughs> dumping information on people way before they're ready for it. You know? <laughs> Sorry. Premature. <laughs> premature like articulation. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'd like, you knew I was going to like that. You've had that one in the barrel. The Intelligent Rebellion Podcast is a 3-6 production. It is produced, written, and hosted by me, Bria Mikado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing, and editing, and is the talent behind all our original music.